talking about loving and serving neighbors is one of the biggest passions on my heart. So I'm really excited about teaching on that this week and next week. And as we were processing that as a team, we were processing this tension and ended up just deciding uh, that while sometimes it can feel weird based on past baggage we have, it would also be weird to talk about serving and loving our community and then have people wanting to take steps and just be like, well, you can go figure it out on your own. Uh, so we are going to present some opportunities, but I promise you the opportunities we present at the end, uh, just, like when we, um, just like when we give the chance at offering, there is no expectation, uh, there is no judgment whether you participate or not, and I will make sure that there are opportunities in our community and in our neighborhood, as well as opportunities that are inside the church just to be clear from the beginning about where we're going with all this. Uh, but also to let you know, so this week we're going to focus on serving and loving our neighbors and the goodness that that brings for us. And next week we're going to talk about serving and loving our neighbors and the goodness that that brings to the world. But to get towards that, well, we start with asking the question of, what are we doing here anyway? Like, why are, why are we here? What are we doing? It's a weekend, people. Right? You're here because you're not having to work today, presumably, or not at this point in time. And yet you chose to get up this morning, maybe earlier than you normally would, maybe not. But either way, there's other things you could be, do, be doing during this time. But instead, you're coming here to church. And we're coming here together and we're listening to a guy talk for a while. And we're listening to some songs. And we're reading some scripture together. Why are we doing these things that we're doing? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the point of all of this? Now, there's a variety of ways that we can answer this question. For some, the answer is that we're trying to uh, grasp the afterlife in some way or appease a God we believe is out there that expects things for us. If that's the motivation you're bringing today, then I understand that motivation. But I would tell you, I don't think that's a very good story. I don't think there's a lot of goodness in that story that's leading you into this. Because I believe that we have a God who is worth pursuing because of the goodness of God, because of the love of God, that there is something worthwhile there than to pursue besides just hoping that we can survive into the afterlife or appease a God so that God doesn't get mad at us. And I would love to talk to you about this story of goodness. So if you ever want to grab coffee sometime and just talk and I can help you to find a better story than one that drives you forward out of guilt and shame, I would love to have coffee with you sometime and talk about that better story. Now, other reasons people might come uh, here and the other things that might be driving us is that we have seen the goodness of God. We have seen goodness and grace and peace that's out there. We believe maybe it's out there. And so we're taking steps leaning into that, right? We're pursuing God. We are here because we want to see God and we want to know more of God, right? And that leads us down all sorts of different paths if the goal is to see and know God more, I affirm that goal. Oftentimes that path says, if we want to see and know God more, the thing we got to do is we got to drive directly toward that. We have to reach out to God uh, and grab hold of God's self right directly. And so we come to church and we listen to sermons that teach us more about God directly. And we sing songs about God. And maybe we have times of meditation or mindfulness that we can become aware of God's presence with, with us. Or maybe we memorize the scriptures so that God is in our thoughts and all around us as we're going through our days. Right? We reach out for God directly. But then kind of the side part of the story through one way I've experienced church and religion and faith is that we do those things to reach God. But then if we kind of get a point where we're overflowing 
right, or we're doing, we're really healthy, or we got extra time, kind of the extra credit or bonus points is then to go out and do something in our community, right? If we're doing really well, if we're feeling good, if we have extra time, then we go out and we volunteer, or we love people, or we do whatever on top of that. But that's not as core to the story too often as reaching out to God directly, and we kind of make these two separate categories. I don't know if that connects to your experience at all, but that was kind of the world that I walked in. Well, I believe that the Apostle John has a different story to tell us. I believe he would disagree with maybe how we've gone about pursuing, knowing, and seeing God. The Apostle John uh, also was one of Jesus' disciples. He walked with Jesus. He wrote much of the New Testament, not as much as Paul, but much of it, both in the Gospel of John and some of the epistles of John. Uh, And so we have some of his writings. And the thing that started getting me thinking about how John thought Uh, was that I'm a little nerdy and I'm into patterns. Before becoming a pastor, I thought I was going to be an engineer, so like math and numbers and weird stuff like that is kind of me. All right, and I noticed that this weird thing was that John used this phrase that I saw in two different places, and it was this. Nobody has ever seen God, but. Nobody has ever seen God, but. And John is the only author to use this phrase, and it only appears twice, and it doesn't appear anywhere else in the entire Bible, but John is thinking about this idea of recognizing really what we're trying to do as people is we're trying to see God. We're trying to access God. We're trying to know the invisible God. And he's recognizing that, and he's going to try and lead us forward into that. So I want to look at the two passages where this takes place. The first is in John chapter 1 in the Gospel of John. Here in this passage, John is talking to us about Jesus and telling us how Jesus is God's entrance into the world in human form. So when it's talking about uh, the word here as it starts off, it's talking about Jesus. Here we go. John says, The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Okay, there we see our phrase right there in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but... Now, something you may know is that the Bible uh, was written before the English language existed. So the Bibles that we're reading here is not actually what was written. It is translations of the Greek and the Hebrew, and sometimes the Aramaic, and sometimes some other stuff. Uh, So it's translations, translating into English from other words that were not in English. So the phrases that you see are only those best-case translations. So here we have the phrase, no one has ever seen God. Now, I want to focus on the word seen there. And I want to look back at the Greek word behind that word seen. It's this. It's heorakin. Can everybody say heorakin? That's pretty good. A little little non-energy, but we'll take it. Okay. Heorakin, right? Now, this word heorakin, it may come as a surprise to you, but it actually, this is the word translated as to see. It actually means to see. 
Okay, so they did a good job tra translating. It's just very simple. Like, it means to see, to grasp, to witness, right? So John is saying here that no one has ever seen or witnessed God, right? And we get that because God is invisible. He's a little elusive in that kind of way. He doesn't present himself as we would like God to be as clear as we would want. Nobody has ever seen God. Why did I dive into this? It will make more sense later, okay? But it actually means, hail rocking means to see. Nobody has ever seen, witnessed God. John goes on. But the one and only Son, Jesus, who is, is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made God known to us. Okay, so he says we may not have ever been able to see God but this interesting thing is happening, and this is happening through Jesus, and that through Jesus, God is made known to us. Now, that word made known to us is the Greek word here, which is exegeomai. Everybody say exegeomai. That was much better. Thank you. Exegeomai uh, means to unfold, to uncover, to draw out, to bring forth, right? This word is the root that we get exegete from, which is the term we use to interpret Scripture, to draw out truth that is, that is deep into Scripture, right? So uh, John is saying that what's happening here in Jesus is Jesus draws out, he pulls back the coverings to help us to see God more clearly, now, I grew up an Indiana kid, and so I grew up, summer times were all about like shucking corn all day so that we could have sweet corn for dinner time. Anybody else? A little bit? Yeah. And so I spent so many hours outside in the beating sun just pulling back the husks of the corn and getting those strings like all over everywhere, right, so that we could have corn for dinner. Now, what you have, if you had never eaten corn before and you would see an ear of corn, right, you have this corn that is in the husk and you have an idea that is there and you have an idea maybe of the shape of it, but until you pull back the husk on it, you don't really see it clearly, you don't really know what you're getting, you don't know if the corn is good or not or even that it's edible or not until you pull it back and see what you've got. That's kind of the concept that John is saying here. Is saying, hey, nobody has ever seen God, but in Jesus, Jesus is kind of pulling back the covers and showing us exactly what we get. Jesus is giving us this clear picture of God. Now, I want to take a side note from our main, main direction here and, and just focus on this. Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we have. And this wasn't entirely clear to me through all points of my faith. Uh, but there's a lot of times we're looking through the Bible, reading through the Bible, reading through other books, reading through other authors, and all sorts of things. And there's all sorts of stuff that we come across that seems confusing or conflicting or contradictory. And I want us to know that in the midst of those moments, we need to remind ourselves what John is saying is that Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we have. So when you're looking through the Bible and you see some crazy story and you're wondering how it fits, say, what we have is I know what Jesus is like, so how do I have to think about this in light of the fact that I know what Jesus is like? Because when we know what Jesus is like, we know what God is like. So what kinds of things is Jesus doing? What kinds of things is Jesus saying? What kinds of people is Jesus hanging out with? What kinds of criticism are people leveraging at Jesus? of saying the things that he's doing? What kind of character do we see in Jesus? These are the kinds of things that also describe God as Jesus reveals God most clearly. Does that make sense? Whenever you have confused, John is saying, if you want to see God, you see God most clearly because he has been drawn out and exposed and clarified by Jesus. Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we have.
But there's more than that. Jesus allows us to have a touch point for latching on to who God is. But John goes on with more. So we fast forward to 1 John, the first letter of John uh, that he's writing to the church, right? And in 1 John, we have this story that he is starting to talk now about the love of God and the importance of the love of God and what the love of God means for the church. And here we have 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. John says this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There we have it in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but same phrase, right? Same author, right? Probably means the same thing as how we would typically interpret this and translate this, right? Except there's a difference here. Because it's not the same phrase, even though it's the same phrase in English, John uses a different word that is translated as seen. He no longer uses the word heorakin to visibly see or to witness. He now is using the word for see that is tetheotai, which is here. Everybody, can you say tetheotai? All right, very good. Tetheotai means something different than heorakin. Heorakin means to see or to witness, but tetheotai is deeper. It's to deeply and intimately observe, to observe with a closeness and a nearness of experience. And this is something deeper, right? I can see the sun come up. I can heorakin witness see the sun come up today, but I tetheotai see the nurturing personality of my wife. Right? I see that deeply in an ongoing experiential way, day in and day out. I hail rock and see or witness my neighbor across the street, but I tetheotai see the preteen angst in my daughters. Right? Like ongoing, deep observation <laughs> through personal daily experience. John is saying more than just, oh yeah, we haven't seen God because he's invisible or whatever. John is saying no one has seen or been able to closely grasp the fullness of God and who God is and what is going on with God. And I think if we were going back to ask that question at the beginning today, what are we even doing here? This is what we are talking about, right? Is this not what we want we want deep experiential observation and experience of the goodness and peace and grace of a loving God. This is what it is about. And John is saying, now we may not have experienced this personally thus far, but, and he goes on from there, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So the thing here is not Jesus that reveals God to us, but the love of somebody else that we would love and care for and serve someone else. And when this happens, uh, what happens here is that it says that God lives in us 
and his love is made complete in us. The word lives in us is also abides. God remains, God stays with, God is present with us, he is near to us, God is close to us, and his love is made complete, it's perfected, it is made whole, it is the full experience. It's not just a little bit of it, it's not just a little bit of understanding, but when we love others, his love is perfected and whole in us. This is what John is saying. Now, this may all just sound Greek to you so far. <laughs> so here's the story. I love playing disc golf. Anybody else disc golf players? No? Okay, it's like golf except cheaper, which is why it works for me. Uh, my favorite course is Bertrand Park up in Niles because uh, it's through the woods. But there's a park on the south side of Mishawaka off of Dragoon called Wilson Park. And that one's fun because it's wide open and it makes you feel really good about yourself because you can throw it far and not hit any trees. Uh, I love walking that course because there's this one part of the course that as you're walking the course, you walk under these high voltage power lines. And you don't really know it at first because they're so far up above and you're just focused on what you're doing. But as you're walking under them, you begin to hear the crackling of the electricity pulsing through the power lines above you. And it makes like the hairs on your arms stand up. It's crazy, it's intense, and you become keenly aware that death is just like 30 feet above your head. <laughs> right, until you see like a birds fly over and you realize birds land on these power lines. What is going on with that? It's such a strange thing that again, me and my nerdy mind had to figure it out, so I turned to science Actually, I turned to people who turned to science because I just looked it up on the internet from people who actually did the work, right? And what's going on is birds can actually land on power lines because electricity is traveling from point A to point B, which is in a straight line, which is along the line of the wire. And it turns out when going from point A to point B, the quickest and easiest way to get there is along the copper wire, not through the body of a bird, right? So the electricity just stays on the quickest, easiest route to get from point A to point B. It stays on the wire. The electricity does not enter the bird, uh, thus ca causing the bird harm, obviously, because it doesn't need to. And so the bird doesn't actually have the, the electricity enter into it. It's only touching it without experiencing it flowing through its body. Does that make sense? Now, if the bird would reach out and touch something else, now it created a different point A to point B, of which the bird is a part of that path, in which case the bird's experience of the power in the power line would be a very different experience that would not be healthy for the long-term survival of the bird. The electricity would pass through the bird on the way to whatever else, killing the bird. One other side note of this is there's an interesting phenomenon that scientists have noted that birds actually seem to enjoy and prefer landing on power lines. Uh, as opposed to trees or other things nearby. And the reason they speculate at this point is because even though they don't feel the full power of the power line, there's still a little bit of goodness that they receive because there is still this uh, invisible electromagnetic field surrounding the power line that, that must somehow feel good, good to the birds. At least that's how the uh, hypothesis goes at this point in time. So they get a little bit of the goodness without experiencing the whole thing. So let me bring this back to the point and put myself into it. So if I'm walking through the course, I am unaware of the vast amount of power that has been continually flowing above my head without me even being aware of it to this point. But at some point in time, I hear the crackling in the power line, which exegeomai pulls back the mystery and allows me to hail rock and see in some way, see or witness the power that is 
above me. The power is there. I have become made aware of it because of the crackling which has alerted me to it and revealed the, what's really going on there. And I'm so fascinated by this, this uh, happening and the birds that I want to join them. And I'm way more athletic than I really am. And so I leap from the ground and am able to fly up and grab a hold of the power line myself. And as I grab a hold of that power line, I am now touching the power without experiencing the fullness of it. But I experience a little bit. If I experience some of that electromagnetic goodness, magnetic goodness that, that feels a little good in ways I can't really describe. And it's not going through my body at this point. I'm just kind of still seeing it tangentially. And I'm hanging from it. I'm enjoying this process. And my friend walks along. And I start telling my friends about how enjoyable this process is. And I want them to join me. So I throw down a rope to my friend to come up and join me. And as soon as my friend grabs a hold of that rope, I go from hail rocking seeing the power to, the te to theotai seeing the power as the power now becomes intimately connected to me and the power abides in me. It lives in me. And in fact, the power is perfected or completed in me. I am now experiencing the fullness of the effects of that power line. I am right there in the middle of it. You see how this works? So the Apostle John is telling us this is the experience of experiencing the fullness of God. And this experience happens when what? When we love one another. When we reach out and connect and to serve one another. Our experience of God goes from hail rock and seeing or witnessing to, to theotai deeply knowing and experiencing God. Now I look at this story in my life I grew up in church, good church kid, in church three times a week, if not more. Spent a lot of time memorizing Bible. I could probably out-quiz you on any given topic that came up throughout my life. I had a regular reg regimen of, you know, daily devotional time, time spent alone with God, like contemplating God and, you know, reading truth about God. I had all of this head knowledge. I went to school. I got a theology degree uh, in, my, in college. I had all of this knowledge, all of this experience that allowed me to see God. But it was really only this knowledge, this hail rock and this awareness of God that kind of touched God and maybe got a little bit, but missed the point. I don't think I ever really began to see God until later in my life. And it was moving into uh, South Bend, into the northwest side, into the Keller Park neighborhood and stories I've told many times before. And it wasn't until I lived there and began to love my neighbors that things began to change for me. I remember the easiest to connect with were the little kids that were around, because they were around constantly. One, and little kids are great because they just look up to adults and like, like everything you suggest because it's better than the boredom of nothingness, right? And so many of my neighbors were locked out of their house by their parents. They were roaming the street and these kids would just come along and they were so full of joy and so full of happiness and just wanting goodness out of life as they were going through life. And they had so much trials and difficulty in their home. And I remember being so mad at their parents who were not capable of loving them the way I thought they needed to be loved. Their parents who were not following God, their parents who were not providing goodness for their kids. I had so much pain and judgment for those parents because I loved and, and cared for those kids that I was walking through life with. And it, I didn't begin to have change until the point when one of the kids that we'd cared for since they were like eight, nine years old grew up and she became pregnant. 
And now this child, who I had great compassion for and great angst for this child's parents, now became the parent who didn't have the tools to show love for her child in the way that I would want. And it began to change things for me because I began to see her in a different way. And for the first time, maybe in my life, I began to experience this thing called grace, which is understanding there's more to people than just the things they experience. There is the image of God in them that goes beyond those difficult challenges that we see. And as this girl became a mother, I had grace for her. And I had grace for the first time for her parents and for all the parents because I realized all of those parents were just people who experienced pain just like this girl that I had compassion for had. And even further, now there are two children uh, that I knew since they were eight years old with their precocious eyes and their passion for life that are now sitting in prison for murder. And I still see the goodness that is there in them because God is showing me grace through relationship that sees a deeper story. Not just grace for those kids, but because of that, if, if I can see the true story in them and love them in that way, then God also sees the true story in me. The true story that knows that when things don't go the way I want them to go, that there is more to me than just the actions that are coming out of me. That this is what grace looks like, this is what love looks like, and this is what's available to me through God. I never had any clue, because these are not things that you learn in a sermon. These are not things that you learn in a Bible theology class. These are things we learn through loving our neighbors. And it's not just these big complicated things. A couple weeks ago, uh, I think when Haley was preaching, I was in the back and saw a child in one of the side rooms was having a difficult time. And he was very frustrated and not able to participate. And his arms were crossed and he was just very full of anger. And I realized I needed to step in to help. So I step in, and I'm sitting in the room trying to talk with this child, not getting anywhere, just so much anger that's there. And I realized something that Stacy had said to me with a simple question. I just said, buddy, do you need a hug? And suddenly this kid went from this to soft, melting arm around me, laying on my shoulder for the next five minutes. And there was grace and goodness in the midst of that that I was able to experience in a way that I couldn't learning about it in a book. I see my middle school daughters now able to volunteer in the toddler room. And when I walk past and I see them through the window and I see my middle school daughter caring for a toddler who's scared and crying, able to nurture them, I realize that they are learning more than any lecture that I could ever present to them because they are seeing the image of God in those children. John tells us that if we want to see and to know God, it is not just this thing that we add on once everything else is already accomplished, once all our religious duties, once all our mindfulness and everything else. It's not just this bonus thing. If we really want to see and know God, maybe we start with extending love to others and see the fullness of God in the midst of that and then see what else we can do. So where does this lead us? I want to leave us with some points of reflection today. We're going to have some time. The, the worship team is going to come back up. And here's two points of questions you can think about. One, in your efforts to see and know God, what has been helpful to you so far? Just an honest question. Like, what in your life, as you look at it, what has actually been helpful 
in helping you to see or know or experience God more? And second, in what ways have you or could you experience God's goodness by extending it to others? There's three organizations here. During this time of reflection, if you want to take out your phone and learn more or to sign up for something, you can take out your phone and go to hopesb.org on your phone. There's a link for Get Involved, and you can fill out a form there, and they will follow up with you. Also, uh, the Croc Center in town is just a couple blocks over right here in this neighborhood. They do a lot of really great things for our community. You can volunteer with the Croc Center as well at that link. And then there's the link for South Bend City Church. Uh, for those roles, we have our, our music team. We have greeters. We have parking lot people. We have people who make coffee. We have people who care for our kids. Uh, Two things about that. One, if you're filling out that link, you are not saying you're doing it, right? I've given you zero information (laughs) about any of this stuff, Uh, so I can't expect anybody to make a commitment, right? This is just saying, hey, I'm curious about having another conversation. One of our team members will follow up with you if you're interested in that. The second thing, when we do talk about the internal stuff, I think it's easy for me to relate to the external stuff. That's where my biggest heart and passion is, is the stuff out there in the community. And sometimes it's hard to see how, like, making coffee is really, like, loving our neighbor in any meaningful way. Um, And so it's hard to see those things sometimes. But I would say, uh, you know, sometimes it's easier to see maybe caring for the kids. If you you struggle to see how caring for kids is loving your neighbor, come at like 11.15 someday, like 15 minutes after we start, because that's when all the families with like five kids like come in, because it's hard to get out the door, right? And you see the look on the face with parents with all their kids coming in, and you see the stress involved there, and then you see them take the kids to class and grab a coffee, and you look at their eyes then right? And that will tell you, the difference in those eyes will tell you about the amount of love that is being received in that moment. I tell you, it's not just loving the kids, it's loving parents. But also something as simple as making coffee or the parking lot, it's hard to see the the goodness in that sometimes. But if you've ever been hangry, you know that sometimes there's physiological things that we're going through that make it hard for us to Uh, behave the way we want or it makes it very easy for things to become difficult challenges for us, right? And I think sometimes we don't realize the act of coming to church sometimes can be scary or intimidating or bring up lots of anxiety for people, right? That just trying to get here can feel hangry where any little thing can become too much of an obstacle. And so something as simple as helping people find parking in an orderly way or be able to find their way to a door or be able to have some caffeine uh, to, to deal with the anxiety they're feeling can be a great and generous act of love. So whether that's internal stuff or external stuff or you just want to reflect, this time is yours to take whatever next steps you need to as we seek to love our neighbors well and in doing so experience more of the fullness of the love of God. today, may you be encouraged to know that there is a God who loves you and sees you right where you are, in the good and in the bad, and a God who is willing to come and take on human flesh and enter this world so that we might see God more clearly, and a God who loves us so much and wants nothing more than to experience his love more as we love our neighbors. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great weekend.